0: Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey.
1: When you change your thoughts, you begin to change your life. And that's why something that people are so passive about, what's on replay, they don't even think twice about it, we've got to work to take inventory of our thoughts. The Bible says, take every thought captive. In counseling, we call that cognitive behavioral therapy, you know. But God thought of it long ago, transforming our mind and making sure that what's flowing out of our mind is bringing us health and not the other way around.
0: That's Deborah Fileta and she joins us today on Focus on the Family. I'm John
2: Fuller with your host, Focus President and author Jim Daly. You know, life can be pretty stressful. Uh, I think we can all attest to that, between work, relationships, and other obligations. Uh, the pressure builds and we lose sight of who we are and what we're about. Um, it's, you know, nipping at us all the time. But the last year or so has uh, shown us that it's more important than ever to take care of ourselves, including our emotional and physical health. God wants us to do that. Uh, 1 Peter five seven tells us we can cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And that's a great promise. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do we believe it is a question. Here at Focus on the Family, we want to help you uh, bring healing and restoration to you and to your family with trusted Christian perspectives Um, and uh, bring you, hopefully, that emotional, mental, physical, and most importantly, spiritual health Mm -hmm. that will keep you in a good place throughout your entire life. And we're going to do that today.
0: Yeah, and our guest, as I said, is Deborah Faleta, and uh, she's a licensed professional counselor, uh, a national speaker, a relationship expert, a podcaster. She's written a great book we'll be discussing today, Are You Really Okay? Getting Real About Who You Are, how you're doing, and why it matters, and we have that here at focusonthefamily dot com slash broadcast.
2: Deborah, I think John missed the uh, the most amazing part. Mother of four, <laughs> I love that one the most.
1: <laughs> yep, we just welcomed our fourth child three, three months, months ago. Three yeah. months,
2: I love it, and you're actually sleeping through the night.
1: We are praise <laughs> the Lord. That talk about helping with emotional health. <laughs> you know, sleep is the wonderful. Night.
2: Well, and you know what's so good about that is that's wonderful for moms to hear. I yeah. mean, you're a professional mom. You've got the kids. You've just had a child. You're living the dream, even though you may not get enough sleep to be dreaming.
1: Yeah, it makes all the difference. <laughs> we shouldn't be surprised when those small physical things, like a lack of sleep, actually begin to impact the other areas of our life as well.
2: Yeah. And, you know, to get serious about it, you are a professional counselor. That's your main thing. And your husband, John's a physician. And you probably individually, obviously, but as a couple, too. I mean, you know, a lot of people dealing with emotional, spiritual, mental health issues, etc. And even though a lot of us put our best foot forward, um, the reality is in our hearts, we're really not always okay, which is the whole point of your book. Are you really okay? What motivated you to write this? What were you seeing in the culture, in your own friendships, your own relationships that made you feel like, eh, maybe we're putting a mask on?
1: You know, I would say this book was motivated by two different things. First and foremost, the things I was seeing as a licensed counselor in my practice. You know, I'm working with amazing men and women who are spiritually mature, but not emotionally healthy and not mentally healthy. I'm working with pastors who are struggling with burnout, or anxiety or depression and things that we're not always comfortable sharing about. But the problem is then the stigma grows and then we're afraid to share about it when we're struggling emotionally and mentally. And secondly, I've been through my own journey of mental and emotional health. I have battled depression and anxiety. Being a licensed counselor doesn't make you immune to those things. And so because of those two reasons, I'm just very passionate about this important message.
2: In fact, um, to kind of pull the audience in so they can hear your heart, you had one of those uh, full-blown panels Attacks uh, For people that have not had that experience, I have not had that experience, describe for me and for the listeners, what is that like and what was your particular circumstance? What happened and how did it grab you in that way?
1: A panic attack is essentially a physical manifestation of emotional distress. So you've got all of these underlying emotions, but they come out through the form of a physical manifestation. So you might feel dizziness, lightheaded You might feel like your heart rate is skyrocketing. You might even feel tingling or sweating and inability to breathe. And many people really believe that something is happening physically. A lot of my clients describe it as going crazy or they feel like they're going to die. And usually you run to the emergency room only to find out that there's nothing wrong with you physically. And it's an emotional response that's actually affecting your physical Mm. health.
2: What happened in your case, though? You were traveling somewhere or about to go on a field trip or something?
1: So a few years back, I actually went through a very traumatic miscarriage where I lost the baby, but I also almost lost my life. I started hemorrhaging, and it was a very traumatic experience. But the thing about trauma is it doesn't always affect you in the moment. Usually in the moment, you're in survival mode, and you don't have time to face the trauma. Well, about two years after that, I was in a safari park with my kids and my husband, and all of a sudden, I started having these symptoms that I would describe as a panic attack. But what I didn't realize was that my body was now starting to process the stress that I had gone through many years before, but never really taken the time to face (sighs) and deal with and heal.
2: That's amazing, though.
1: Two years later. Two years later. I mean, if you think about it, when soldiers go off to war, they're in the middle of a battlefield they are not there to process the trauma. It's when they get home and they're not in survival mode anymore, when things have calmed down. Mm. Oftentimes that's when trauma begins to impact you.
2: Let me ask you spiritually, from a Christian perspective, what is God doing in the makeup of his creation? Why do we go through that? What is the helpful aspect of it? And what's the thing that we have to look out for?
1: Well, I think by design... It's a beautiful process because it shows you that God understands how human beings work. He knows that when we're in survival mode and we're dealing with the stress of what's going on today, we don't have the capacity to also process it in a healthy way. So he allows us to sort of hibernate in a good way. And then later on, he brings it to us when we're ready to heal layer by layer healing happens I think if it all happened at once it would be quite overwhelming and not only that I don't think many of us would be able to survive through it
2: yeah in the book of Mark you point to something I think you call the baseline for general health it corresponds with the greatest commandment describe that uh, scripture in Mark that caught your attention as a counselor Mm -hmm. that helps people
1: uh, you know, I think the most important thing to remember as we talk about this scripture is just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're healthy. And Jesus calls us to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what we read in scripture. When we look at that, heart represents our emotional health, soul represents our spiritual health, mind represents our mental health, strength represents our physical health. So we shouldn't be surprised when we face struggles in those areas, because if we're to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, you better believe the enemy is going to try and attack us in our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So instead of being surprised by the struggle as Christians, we just need to be prepared for it. And,
2: you know, the reality is we are in this world. I mean, scripture tells us we're in this world. Paul told us we're going to struggle in this world. Uh, We're wired spiritually, particularly for life eternal with Christ in heaven. But in that context, uh, Christians who do struggle with anxiety, with depression, uh, that's part of my wife's story. She's been on the broadcast before. Her family has really struggled in those areas, biochemically, I mean. um, How do we in the Christian community communicate positiveness about the idea of seeking help? Don't hold back, it's okay. I think my wife would say, Jean would say, She struggled with the concept that if I'm a believer in Jesus, then I should pray that he takes this away. But that can be traumatic over a decade or two, and you're not getting help in that regard. So speak to those anxieties and what Christians should do.
1: You know, those are truly unhealthy beliefs that hold us back from healing. I remember once when I was in the presence of a pastor, I had just come out of a dark postpartum depression and he didn't know that and he said true believers don't suffer from depression because they have the holy spirit at work in them and i was devastated to hear Mm -hmm. that he didn't know what i had just come through
2: and what did that make you feel like because gene and i have talked about this specifically less than yeah like i'm not i'm not good for god
1: Right, it makes you feel like you don't have enough faith or you don't have enough strength or maybe there's sin in your life. Rather than seeing it as a chemistry issue, we see it as a character issue. And that's flawed thinking because many times what's actually happening underneath the surface is a chemical imbalance um, that could be caused by many different things, whether it be past trauma, whether it be hormonal imbalance. There's a plethora of things that can be caused by. But we have to understand that we can't just point to it being a faith issue and leave it at that.
2: And the idea that, you know, I I want to also acknowledge there are spiritual things that occur around the world. I've seen things that, you know, you pray against, you pray for that person. So those are realities as well, spiritual bondage, etc. But so often in this area of mental health, it is exactly that. It's chemical issues that are occurring in the physical nature that yeah. we're made up with.
1: Everything is holistic in the sense that when we're faced with a problem mentally or physically, we do bring it to prayer. I think it would do us better to use the, the comparison of a cancer diagnosis. You know, when you're diagnosed with cancer, first of all, you don't blame yourself. You know, you don't say, maybe I didn't have enough faith or strength. Mm. You, you look at the cancer and you say, how am I going to attack this? You go get medication. You go get help. You go get whatever you need.
0: You get a lot of prayer partners. And
1: then the community yeah. supports you. They bring you meals. They lift you up in prayer. But we don't always treat depression and anxiety, which is an illness of the mind mm. and the brain, in the same way.
2: Yeah. And in Mark, I think you're pointing to the scriptures "Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind and with all your strength. And and that's what you're reinforcing. Yes. And uh, some people, especially those that are struggling with uh, mental illness, that's a daunting task. Just hearing that, wow! I don't know if I can accomplish that. Speak to the inadequate the feeling of inadequacy that I can give that way to the Lord. Uh, you know, with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength. Um, do people come into your practice asking, "How can I do this, Deborah?"
1: It, I think it can seem overwhelming when we look at the blanket verse, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength," and we have to remember this is step by step, little by little, one thing at a time, where we're trying to align who we are to who God has called us to be. This isn't an overnight process of healing. We don't overnight get to a place where we're struggling, and we don't overnight get to a place of healing. And so I think we have to give ourselves grace and realize that healing in all of these areas is layer by layer. It's a cyclical process, two steps forward, a couple steps back, a few steps more forward, but we're moving in the direction of sanctification.
0: This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Find fun for your kids just a click away.
2: And now, Adventures
0: in Odyssey. The Adventures in Odyssey Club, where your eight to 12 year old can find trusted faith building entertainment in a safe online club. It features almost every episode ever, plus special monthly club only episodes and content and a Focus on the Family Clubhouse magazine subscription. Sign up today. Just go to AIOclub.org radio. You've read accounts in the Bible of how Christ impacted so many people, but we really know very little about the lives of those early followers of Jesus. The chosen, I have called you by name, imagines what life was like for those who followed Christ. Based on the widely acclaimed TV series, The Chosen, this Focus on the Family book by bestselling author Jerry Jenkins brings color and depth to the people surrounding Christ. You can find out more at focusonthefamily.com slash chosen. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the
2: balance of today's programming. Uh, Deborah, what's a good way to survey how our past affects us I know that's something we look at. We've had many guests on the program talking about family of origin issues. Um, How much attention should we pay to that family of origin, the household we grew up in?
1: I think the best indicator of how the past is impacting us is what's happening in the present.
2: Describe that. When we
1: find ourselves dealing with Unsurmountable emotional struggles or relationship conflict that doesn't seem to be going away, or maybe an inability to control our emotions, our anger. These are usually signs that there's something that needs healing in our life. And oftentimes, it's something from our past that we haven't identified. So I call them these emotional black and blues that happen in the present. You know, when there's a a big reaction to something, maybe you feel like it's an over-exaggerated response to a situation. Oftentimes, these emotional black and blues are sore spots from the past. Mm. When somebody presses up on them in the present, (laughs) they hurt. You know, They notify us that something's going on.
2: And in those emotional patterns, then, uh, what are some of the patterns that you've noticed maybe in your own life?
1: I think oftentimes what happens is we learn from our past experience for the good and for the not so good. And many people listening might say, well, I had a pretty good childhood. You know, I don't. there wasn't abuse. There wasn't...
2: I felt loved.
1: I felt loved. Mm-hmm. I have Christian parents. Yeah. Well, I come from that type of a background of good home, good family. They loved the Lord. My grandfather was an evangelist all across the Middle East. But there were patterns that I wasn't aware of that I needed to deal with that were impacting my emotional health. For example, when you grow up in an immigrant family, you kind of learn that you need to do you need to work hard it's almost like a productivity factor and so for me I equated value with how much I was able Mm. to accomplish because that's what they did coming from a different country starting new in America even though it was a Christian home and focused on ministry I began translating that into my life as I need to do in order to be valued by God and when you get to a point of doing too much for the wrong reasons you reach burnout You're empty. You've got nothing left to give. For me, I reached a place of depression. Hmm. And so even though it was a healthy family, there were still unhealthy patterns that were passed down to me that I needed to deal with.
0: Hmm. Well, today we're talking to Deborah Faleta on Focus on the Family and uh, her book, Are You Really Okay? Getting Real About Who You Are, How You're Doing, and Why It Matters. A great resource, and we'll encourage you to look for a copy at our website, focusonthefamily.ca, or call eight hundred the letter A and the word family.
2: Deborah, in the book, you use a couple of metaphors. One, the iceberg, and then the volcano. (laughs) I think they're pretty self-evident. But uh, describe what the iceberg represents and the volcano.
1: You know, the iceberg is kind of our tendency to really stay superficial. The reason I call this book, Are You Really Okay?, is because it's easy to answer that question and say, yeah, I'm good, you know, I'm fine, without really going deeper. But just like an iceberg, there's always more, a lot more going on underneath the surface. And I think this past year, for so many people, 2020 was a year of dealing with a lot of emotions. I call it the year of exposure. Hmm. Because emotions are like a volcano in the sense that there's always pressure building underneath the surface. When you don't identify those emotions and deal with them in a healthy way, they will find the point of least resistance, Mm. and you will experience an emotional explosion. For me, it was a panic attack. For you, it might be an anger outburst or disconnecting from your spouse emotionally. Maybe you're withdrawn and depressed. But that's the key is learning that to be emotionally healthy, we've got to learn to go underneath the surface and figure out what's really going on inside of us.
2: You know, and when you say it in that context, Deborah, I would think that spouses are typically the recipient of the explosion. Yeah, you're absolutely right. right. Many Uh, times,
1: relationship conflict gives you a signal that there's a lot more going on underneath in your personal life.
2: Let's move to the spiritual component and the spiritual well-being that we need to seek. What does it even look like? Uh, Like emotional, I'm not sure that we know. Outside of going for annual physicals, I think I'm lost.
1: Well, first of all, let's start with what it's not. Spiritual health is not a checklist of things we're doing right. Mm. (laughs) It's not, I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to church, I'm praying every day. You can do all those things and not be spiritually healthy. When my husband was in medical school, this guy off the street snuck into the hospital and wore a white coat and pretended to be a doctor all day just for a prank. And it took all day for people to recognize that he was a fraud. He wasn't really a doctor. Just because you wear a white coat doesn't make you a doctor. Doctors wear white coats, but that's not what makes you a doctor. And I think spiritual health is the same. Just because we go through our spiritual checklist doesn't make us spiritually healthy. What makes us spiritually healthy is ultimately why and what our beliefs about God, why we're doing the things we're doing, what is motivating us, and what is our view of God. And sometimes that view of God can be tainted. We're doing things for God out of shame or fear or guilt rather than because God is love, unconditional, because of his kindness. And I think if our view of God is faulty, Everything else is going to be faulty. That outflows from that.
2: Wow. You may be describing all of the ills of Western civilization at this point. That's a big statement Mm -hmm. you've just made. Um, Deborah, you had an experience, I believe, in a psych ward when you were doing your counseling and you had to do your student hours or something like that. Yeah. What happened in that context and what did you learn from it?
1: When I was first starting off as a counselor, I worked at a psychiatric unit, and I was in charge of this young man who had psychosis, which he was hearing and seeing things. And I was doing an assessment to see how he was doing, and I was asking him these questions, and I started twirling my earring with my finger. It's kind of a nervous habit. Well, little did I know that he comes from a abuse history of a mother who used to also twirl her earring. Oh, my. And the second he saw me doing that, he transferred... All of his feelings onto me. He started screaming at me, You ruined my life. I hate you. In counseling, we call that transference, where you put all of your hurts on an innocent bystander. Sometimes we do the same thing to God because of our past wounds, things we've experienced in our family, maybe an absent father or a critical mother. We tend to then see God through that same lens. We transfer those hurts onto him and we see him with flawed eyes. And honestly, I think that's the number one thing that inhibits our spiritual health.
2: Let me dig into that for a moment because it's one of the most difficult questions that I'll get when I speak and I talk about, you know, my testimony is basically, you know, as an orphan child, but men will come up to me particularly. And they'll say, how did you not become bitter towards your alcoholic father? It's one of the most difficult questions for me to answer because I never did. And I think in that context for me, I I had a healthy, even as a child, I had a kind of a healthy understanding. This was his problem, not my problem. Yet, I want to be tender to those 50 men that are standing in that line and basically saying the same thing to me. They're 40, 50, 60 years old, and they're asking me, I'm still bitter at my dad for what he did to me. How do you help that person to say, you got to let go? I mean, what your father did to you, your father owns. You do not own this.
1: Right. I think when we when it comes to dealing with these difficult experiences, it's important to acknowledge how we feel, you know, not to try to sugarcoat it. Not, I love that you had such a healthy reaction, but I'm also aware, like you said, not everybody does, and that's mm. okay. That's a starting point, it, it, right. right? To be able to say, "I do feel bitter. I do feel." And it's hurt. okay to do that. It is to okay because as you're acknowledging that, what you're doing is you're starting to diffuse those underlying emotions underneath the surface of that volcano. You're acknowledging them. You're putting words to them. And I think for some people through the process of things like counseling, you begin developing empathy for the people that hurt you and seeing that hurt people end up hurting people, right? We, we hear that phrase often. Right. But when you start having empathy and compassion and seeing where that hurt person came from, you begin freeing yourself from the pain that you carry it's a process you know it's not something that happens overnight and i really believe that even when you forgive somebody the process of forgetting can take time and energy and work and you might never forget but you're at least able to put that on them and take ownership of what is on you
2: what about that person who maybe has carried that burden for decades and they get it out there I do have this bitterness. I acknowledge that. They may have had that discussion with the Lord, you know, kind of the shaking fist. God, why have you done this to me? And they're still in that part of the cycle. They haven't really made it to the letting go. What encouragement do you have for them For them to say, yeah, I'm okay? I mean, they're really moving from I'm not okay to I'm okay.
1: I just would remind them that healing happens in layers, And not to expect themselves to get to a a wonderful place overnight. When you think about past abuse and how many days it takes for you to experience, how many years you've been through that type of thing. To have the expectation on yourself that you're going to heal from that overnight is unrealistic. Right. You're putting too much pressure on yourself. If it takes years to get to a place of bitterness, it might take years to unpack that. Yeah. It might take months to unpack some of those things. Yeah. And it's a process. It's a journey. It's a, again, it's a journey of sanctification. And you're not alone through it. Uh, when I think about blame, it tends to happen in three ways. First, we put the blame on ourself. Mm-hmm. I did something wrong. The next level is we put the blame on God. He did something wrong. But I think the third place where we should land is putting the blame outward on this world, this sinful, fallen, broken world, and the enemy that lurks within. When we can leave the blame there, we can begin to move away from it and begin to heal.
2: Boy, it's so true. And that scripture, which the first Bible someone gave to me at 15, was John 10:10. 10, 10. Of course it took me a while to find that, but that the thief comes to steal, yes. kill and destroy. That's his mission. And Deborah, this has been so good. We're going to come back for a second day to talk a little more in depth about your wonderful book. Are you really okay? And you said to me before we started this is your favorite topic. I could see that as a counselor because you want to move people from a place of not being okay to an abundant life, the uh, the end of John 10, 10, that he came that we might have an abundant life, right? Yeah. And that's what I see light up in your eyes. You want people to live that full experience with God. And here, focus on the family. That's what we're about. We want you to f- feel that fulfilled life in your marriage, in your parenting journey, uh, in your sphere of influence. Uh, we want to uh, be there to assist you and equip you to live that life that God has called you to live and uh, get in touch with us. Um, Again, uh, Deborah's book, Are You Really Okay? If you can make a gift to focus for any amount, we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. You can do that through a monthly pledge or through a one-time gift. And if you can't afford it, this kind of help, this emotional, spiritual help is what we want to be about. So uh, just call and request it. We'll trust others. We'll cover the cost of getting that to you. And again, Deborah, let me say thank you for being with us. And we're going to come back and talk more about this. Can you do that? Looking
1: forward to it. Okay.
0: Well, donate as you can and uh, get in touch with us. Uh, Request that book by Deborah. Are You Really Okay? All the details are at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-AND-THE-WORD-FAMILY. That's 800-232-6459. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we continue the conversation with Deborah, and once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned
1: but there's still times when those feelings are going to come up that doesn't mean that I'm backtracking but I have to acknowledge it to make space for that grief in my life instead of just ignoring it pretending it's not there because that grief isn't a sign that I'm moving backwards or that I'm not healed it's just a sign of the reality that in this world we will go through hard things you know, and, and to be able to face those with confidence and um, acknowledge those hurts, make space for them, is one of the ways that we heal.
0: That's Deborah Fileta, and she's with us again today on Focus on the Family. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus president
2: and author Jim Daly. Here's a banner statement. We're not free from stress and trouble in this life. How about that, John? Ooh, I've noticed lately <laughs> that we're not. No, This is the world, and in the world, you will have trouble. I think that's right out of Scripture. E- even when we come to a saving knowledge of Christ, the language we use as Christians, and accept him as our Savior, we're still going to fail. Face times of difficulty mm-hmm. uh, but we can face them with confidence that we can overcome them and have hope in our future. as we read in second Timothy 1:7, God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control mm-hmm. and uh, you know that's a hard thing to remain in balance in those things and today we're going to talk with our guest about how to do that. Uh, she's got a great book Are you really okay which I would say hits that scripture directly about power love and self-control mm-hmm. and it's going to be a good program we started yesterday and, and missed if you it. missed it yeah, yeah. get a hold of us uh, let us
0: know how we can get that to you on a cd or you can download it or you can get the app you can watch on youtube so many different ways uh it was a great conversation as you said jim and uh, i guess i should say our number is 800 the letter a in the word family or you can uh, go back and hear that first part at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast.
2: Deborah, welcome back to Focus on the Family.
1: Thank you. It's good to be with you as always.
2: Yeah, it's so good. And I love the content you bring as a counselor. Your husband's a physician. I mean, you guys, you're a power couple. <laughs> <laughs> and you have four kids. 10, 8, 5, and 3 months old, right?
1: Yes, we do. It's a full house. Okay,
2: just on behalf of all the moms that are struggling to keep it all going, how do you just do that with everything you've got going?
1: This is why I wrote the book, Are You Really Okay? Yeah, it's for we, yourself. We really have to ask that question in these types of seasons, you know? You know,
2: let me start there for the moms that are trying to do it all. Really, seriously, how do you remain healthy, and I mean in every way, emotionally, physically, spiritually, how do you remain healthy with all of the things that pull on you as a mom? Your kids, maybe your profession outside the home, the home, your husband. I mean, how do you juggle all that and remain healthy?
1: Well, the truth is you don't, and you don't do everything, and you, and it, it might look from the outside in like somebody's doing everything and doing it all well. I get that question a lot, how do you do it all? And my response is, I don't do it all. I can't do it all, but I've learned to do a few things well. I've learned to set boundaries around my life. I've learned to take care of myself so that I can be filled and pour out to my family. I think in the beginning as a mom, I used to feel guilty about taking the time to keep myself healthy, but now I see it as a necessity Mm -hmm. because if I'm not full, I'm no use to anyone around me.
2: No, it's really good. And that acknowledgement that, hey, I'm not doing everything well. And I'm okay with that. That's a healthy spot. Let's do the recap from yesterday. We talked about uh, emotional well-being and spiritual well-being. How would you recap that discussion?
1: Yeah, you know, Jesus calls us to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our heart represents our emotional health soul represents our spiritual health mind represents our mental health and strength represents our physical health so yesterday we talked about our emotional health and our spiritual health and really taking inventory of those two areas
2: mental health issues affect everyone from time to time Uh, we may not even be aware of it actually but how it's dampening down our feelings Mm -hmm. our sense of joy i mean god says you know we should be people that are joyful but sometimes things detract from that. How does the way we think connect with the way we feel?
1: Hmm. Scientists used to believe that feelings caused our thoughts. But the most recent research shows us that thoughts actually trigger feelings, which trigger behaviors. Mm. So if we're feeling off or doing things that aren't the things we want to be doing, we've got to really backtrack and take a look at our thoughts. What's on replay, like I call it? I have four little kids. So when I get in the car, oftentimes (laughs) there's some... Child CD playing, you know, some nursery songs or what have you.
2: Let me guess, Wheel on the Bus Goes Round. And yeah, round. something like that. It's definitely
1: not the focus on the family Wasn't program because, you know, my kids are listening to all of their little kids' songs. I remember once I went on a trip in my car without the kids. And after an hour, I realized I could change the channel. Yeah. <laughs> I can go listen to folks on The Family or that's a podcast. It's an adult moment. This yeah. is... But you're so used to what's on replay yeah. in the background. It just becomes the norm. Our thoughts are the same way. We get so accustomed to certain thought processes on replay that we don't even feel the need to change them.
2: Yeah. Wow, that's powerful. How does God interact with that in our lives? I mean, what is he saying to us in that regard?
1: Well, God wants us to replace the patterns of our past with his truth, right? And many times the patterns of our past... Is how we think, those negative thoughts. In counseling, we call them cognitive distortions. Mm. They're faulty ways of thinking. Maybe something like black or white thinking, where you see things in extreme. Maybe something like catastrophizing, where you're always looking at the future and seeing the worst case scenario. We've got these default patterns of thinking. Maybe it's a self-critique, where we're always thinking negative things about ourselves or the people around us. God wants us to identify these thought patterns and begin replacing them with hate his truth.
0: Yeah, that's where I've uh, come to have a phrase of truth before trivia. Yeah, I still like to look at and gather a lot of information, but as a believer, I'm trying to let God's Word, the Scripture, be my reference point for the day and where I spend a lot of time. I'm, it's not like it's, you know, for every minute I read an, an article online, I'm reading the Scripture. But I want His truth to be the thing that's transforming my mind, not the world making my thinking uh, off base.
1: I love that. And it's essentially the question of what am I downloading? You know, yeah. what am I downloading each and every day? And are they things I'm downloading from my past? Are they things I'm downloading from what I'm looking on the internet, scrolling, Google? Or am I filling my mind and heart with God's truth? Mm-hmm.
2: When you mentioned the book, several things that uh, you need to understand in getting your mind straight with truth, right? So Uh, You use the terminology black and white thinking, all or nothing thinking, overgeneralization, minimization, and magnification, mind reading, fortune telling. And this one I could really relate to is catastrophizing. Mm -hmm. Because I think the culture, we we are living in that right now where everything is a catastrophe. I mean, you talk with family members and if it's not COVID related, something is, you know, it's fear. Yeah. Speak to some of those or maybe the one or two that really capture you. You had emotional reasoning, should, could, would statements, labeling, personalization. There's a lot there, and it's all in your great book, and people need to get it for the complete Mm -hmm. uh, definition. But what what are one or two of those that I mentioned that stand out to you?
1: You know, something like should, could, would— You spend so much time thinking about what you should have done in the past, blaming yourself. Um, Like you mentioned, catastrophizing. We're always thinking of the worst case scenarios filled with worry and fear. The way that we think begins to change our brain, physically speaking. It begins to change the neuropathways, which then begin affecting our emotional health, our mental health. And so there's so much power because how you think impacts Your life. When you change your thoughts, you begin to change your life. And that's why something that people are so passive about, what's on replay, they don't even think twice about it. We've got to work to take inventory of our thoughts. The Bible says, take every thought captive. In counseling, we call that cognitive behavioral therapy, you know? But God thought of it long ago, transforming Mm -hmm. our mind and making sure that what's flowing out of our mind is bringing us health and not the other way around.
2: So when you're dealing with that person sitting in front of you in your counseling office, what are two or three things you can encourage them to do? What are steps they can take to begin to not be overwhelmed by the world and to transform their mind according to Christ?
1: First and foremost, I think you've got to face your thoughts Sometimes they're so automatic, you don't even recognize them. Mm. So one thing that I have people do, and in fact, this book is actually interactive. It's not meant to just be read you journal through it you know you you journal as you're going through and one thing i have people do especially during this section is begin keeping track of their negative thoughts to put them on paper to start seeing patterns in the way they think that they might not have recognized before and then when we do that we have the one side but then we begin to replace it with god's truth what does god ultimately say about these things What am I ultimately believing? Am I believing this side of the spectrum, the dark side, or am I clinging to the light of God's truth?
2: Yeah. And in the book, you do uh, go to great lengths to talk about areas where we need help, mental uh, illness being one, and the way the culture, and particularly the Christian culture, can shame people that are struggling in that area. I just want to make sure we're really clear on that. We've done some programs on that before, and we get a lot of response from folks who feel very strongly on both sides of this issue. As a counselor, with that person, again, sitting right there in front of you, how do you encourage them to seek the help they need and still maintain a a healthy understanding of God's love for you, his concern for you? But yes, you can get some help if you don't have enough serotonin On your nerve endings. I mean, it can be that simple. You're
1: absolutely right. I recently on my blog wrote an open letter to the depressed Christian. And I explained to them, which I also cover in this book, that this is not a reflection of your faith. This is not a reflection of your strength. This is not a reflection of your relationship with Jesus. You know, this is a struggle that you're walking through. And many times, this is the catalyst to your faith. I look at the times of depression, the darkest seasons for me. When Jesus was truly the closest, I felt him near Mm. to my heart. And I'm grateful he walked me through that process of healing with therapy and medication. Because you know what? Even therapists can benefit from therapy and counseling. I don't just preach this because I'm a counselor. I preach it and teach it because it actually impacted my own life during those hard seasons.
2: Now that is so good. And I hope people are hearing that heart that you have and that we share, you know, Mm -hmm. focus on the family. Sometimes in the Christian community, you know, we get criticism for talking about the idea that uh, people can get help through counseling, they can get help through medication, etc. Break down some of those myths, just hit them, bang, bang, bang. What would you say?
1: I think many times what we try to do is offer spiritual solutions.
2: What does that sound like to in mental, that conversation? And emotional problems. Yeah.
1: You know, things like you need to pray more or here's a Bible verse, dwell on scripture. When you're in the thick of depression or anxiety or a panic attack and your brain is not working properly, your amygdala, the part of your brain that's responsible for emotional memory is is going wild your neocortex the part of your brain that's responsible for logic is dulled down you can't think about scripture in that moment because you that part of your brain isn't actually working properly and so for us we have to realize that sometimes those blanket statements actually cause more hurt than help. Of course, we need Jesus and the spirit and his guidance. We need prayer. We need to meditate on scripture at the proper times. But I think just putting those spiritual solutions on these mental and emotional issues can actually cause damage, can leave people feeling shame and defeat rather than being encouraged that they can find hope and healing.
2: Yeah, it might be in this uh, is just a thought, but you might wanna stop and actually pray with that person rather than give them advice as to what they can do. Pray for them. If they can't
1: pray for themselves, you cover them in prayer. But not only that, it's really taking the next step. How can I help you? Just like you would if somebody was sick with cancer or someone just had a baby and they're unable to, to help themselves in certain ways. Come alongside of them. Stay present. See what they need. Ask them how you can help. I think that's the thing that we as the body of Christ can do a better job at, is helping people walk through their struggle rather than dropping off a Bible verse and saying goodbye.
0: Mm, Yeah, and avoid those prescriptive prayers. You know, (laughs) We have a tendency sometimes to pray to the person instead of asking God to intervene. Right. We want to avoid that. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Good parents aren't perfect, and that's okay, but there are ways you can grow every day. Focus on the Family's Seven Traits of Effective Parenting Assessment gives parents an honest look at their unique strengths, plus some areas they could use a little help. Every mom and dad can help raise the next generation of healthy, mature, and responsible children, and this assessment will help get you started. Take the assessment at focusonthefamily.com seven traits. That's focusonthefamily.com seven traits.
1: In a time where culture tries to define us, Focus on the family's Brio Magazine helps define the culture. This trusted, biblically-based magazine provides teen girls with inspiring stories, fashion advice, positive role models, and practical insight for daily life. Find encouragement for today and subscribe at briomagazine.com slash radio. That's briomagazine.com slash radio. A small investment today will yield a lifetime of impact.
0: Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming.
2: Deborah, you touched on this a while ago, but I I do want to come back to it because it is such a tender spot and it's something that a lot of women and their husbands experience, and that's miscarriage. Take us through that, both as a wife, a mom, but then also as a counselor and what you yourself went through and how that can benefit others.
1: Yeah. I went through a traumatic miscarriage that didn't actually impact me until a few years later. Mm. Um I think sometimes we think that the impact is going to happen right away and we're not prepared for when the trauma comes back a little bit later. We... Did you
2: did you feel disconnected at that point? I mean you're in it. You you had this miscarriage and you know the language. Right. You're a counselor. Were you questioning, how come I'm not feeling this more deeply? Or, or are you just trying to survive and get through it and hug John? And you I know? think
1: that's what it is. I think as a mom, when you go through something traumatic like a miscarriage, and for me, it was even an emergency surgery where I almost lost my life. You come home and life doesn't stop. You've got the kids. At the time, we had three kids. Right. You've got the ministry. You've got work. You've got your husband. You are in survival mode. And when you're in survival mode, you don't have the time or the energy to stop and really process that loss. Mm. Of course, you feel the loss on a superficial level. You cry, you talk about it, but I think we're surprised sometimes when trauma comes back later. Sometimes we feel like we're backtracking. You know, Maybe I didn't really heal, but I want people to realize that God has made it that way. We heal in layers, Mm -hmm. one layer at a time. And just because Whatever trauma you've been through might be coming back in this season doesn't mean really you mean you haven't healed, but it might mean that God wants to heal the next layer and the next layer and the next layer.:
2: It's really insightful, and I think it actually indicates something for all of us as human beings, created as we are, that we might expect that to happen not in layers but in like one stage. Right. We go from wound to healed. And the fact, the way you describe that as being in layers, I don't know what, um, if it's in, we're just not patient enough. We don't understand the mechanisms that God is giving us for healing. But all of that's kind of wrapped up in there, right? I, I could just feel a person shaking his fist at God because that healing has not occurred and they want to get there and they're just frustrated,
1: Right. We want to see immediate results. you know. That's the reality. Nobody wants to linger in the process of healing, but that's exactly when the process of healing is most effective. Think about losing weight. When you do that diet and lose 10 pounds in a week, that 10 pounds is going to come right back and then some. But when you take your time to heal, when you're deliberate and intentional about really getting into those wounds and dealing with them little by little, that's when healing is more long-lasting and permanent. That's when it becomes a part of your life.
2: In that respect, how do we measure that so that we know we're not standing still? Mm -hmm. We may not be there yet, but we're making progress. How do we measure that?
1: I think being deliberate about setting goals. Um, We talked earlier how easy it is to go get a physical checkup, but how rare it is to stop and take an emotional spiritual, mental inventory. So the question I would be asking is, what is God healing in your life today? That's where we need to stop and ask ourselves. (laughs) If the answer is, I don't know, not much, you actually worry me the most, Mm. because you feel like there's no need for healing. You feel like you've arrived. There's nothing that you identify in your life, whether it be emotional, spiritual, mental, physical. For us to constantly be growing in the process of sanctification, we've got to be doing these check-ins on a regular basis.
2: I would think that another way to make that statement is that in this life, we should all be striving for something better.
1: Right. There's, always, what, there's yeah, always a next level place to grow. that God is longing yeah. to take us.
2: In that regard, let me ask this, the, um, and this is something personally for me that's been a bit of a struggle because I do generally tend to feel I'm in a good place and I, I want to represent that feeling. So I'll I'll be honest about it for me. I think Gene might say, well, because of your trauma as a child, maybe you're just looking at the shiny side of everything and you're not dealing with, you know, the pain of what happened. And I, I understand that. And I think I have. But speak to me and the people like me who have kind of said, okay, I think I've gotten through it. I think I've forgiven people that have wounded me. I think I've you know, come to grips with what I had to go through as an orphan kid. But those that know us best might be saying emotionally, you may not be as connected. Yeah. <laughs> You're protecting, and God gives us that mechanism. It's a protection mechanism. So you, you don't go as deep emotionally. You do become an inch deep and a mile wide because you don't want to be hurt. Speak to those people that may be not in tune with what their real soul hurt is.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. And I appreciate you for being so vulnerable. You know, I'm the type of counselor that tends to be a little more candid. And so I'll tell people right off the bat, you're not as healthy as you think you are, you know, because the Lord is longing to take us to a better place. And I think when it comes to our past wounds, of course, we, we eventually get to a place of peace. Um, you know, it's not like a a journey for the rest of time dealing with those past wounds, but we can't be surprised when they come up at different times. It's kind of like grief. Um, When you look at your past childhood wounds, sort of like grief, something that was lost. Mm. Grief comes in waves. There may be seasons where it doesn't impact you, but then there's other seasons where it comes through. And that's what you have to be aware of. What seasons might my past experience be coming through and how does that impact me in the present how does it impact my relationships in the present the people closest to you are probably going to give you the most insight because what's happening in the present your problem spots in the present your conflict patterns in the present tend to be a signal of the things that you might still need some healing from in the past
2: keep reaching keep working keep working yeah keep i like listening that. To gene yeah well that's for sure <laughs> Um, You know, I'm reminded of a family, I won't mention their name, but they had catastrophic uh, situation where their son and daughter-in-law got married. They took off from the reception in a helicopter and it crashed into Mm -hmm. a mountain. So they'd only been married four or five hours. And I remember standing with him, you know, months after the event and we were out by his barbecue and he, I just said, how are you doing? And he said, well, What else can you do? You just get up and you keep moving forward, trusting that God is who he is and all these things are taken care of. I can't imagine the pain of that kind of loss. He said, it was the best day of my life and the worst day of my Mm. life. And it gives me tears now talking about it. But as a counselor speaking to those kinds of situations, it's kind of the reality, isn't it? It is not it You get up and you got to keep going even with incredible devastation.
1: And I think it's important for us in those situations to realize that dealing with these type of deep hurts doesn't have a timeline. You know, we say that time heals all wounds. Well, it doesn't. It really doesn't. In fact, some wounds, when left to themselves, will only get infected with time. Hmm. They will get worse with time. And so for us being intentional to really face some of that pain and realize that there's no time limit. you know. Even for me, I feel like I've dealt with my trauma, my miscarriage in a healthy way, but there's still times when those feelings are gonna come up. That doesn't mean that I'm backtracking, but I have to acknowledge it to make space for that grief in my life instead of just ignoring it, pretending it's not there because that grief isn't a sign that I'm moving backwards or that I'm not healed. It's just a sign of the reality that in this world, we will go through hard things, you know? And, and to be able to face those with confidence and um, acknowledge those hurts, make space for them is one of the ways that we heal.
2: Yeah, it's an amazing thing. I think God's formula for this life, uh, we are going to suffer.
1: And we're going to need him. We're and gonna we're going to rely gonna need on him, him That's every the whole purpose. step of the way. Yeah. We're never going to walk without a limp. Um, one of my favorite sermons is is John Corson actually preached it. And he said, you know, in one scenario, Jacob, who wrestled with God and ended up with a limp for the rest of his life, which reminded him of his need for Jesus, every step of the way, his need for the Lord. In the other scenario, a man at the pool of Bethesda was healed. Yippee, I'm healed. And people said, who healed you? And he said, I don't know. (laughs) And sometimes when we're fully healed... We lose that connection with the Lord. We forget that I need him. Sometimes the limp that we carry in life, those hardships, those struggles remind us of our deep need for the Lord.
2: Deborah, what a great place to end. Uh, This content has been so good. Your book, Are You Really Okay? There are so many great um, passages here that you're talking to that wounded soul that is struggling, trying to find their limp and trying to find that healing in Christ. Uh, This has been so good. I hope people will eat this up, and we want to make it as easy as possible to serve you this delicious meal that uh, Deborah has been talking about, how to walk with the Lord, even through the trials and difficulties of this life, and to do it in such a way that you come out victorious on the other side and able to help others who are struggling and hurting. Mm -hmm. And um, as we often do, if you can send a gift of any amount, become a monthly uh, supporter here to the ministry, because in that you're working with us to help others uh, come through their tragedies and their crises uh, and to find hope in Christ. Do that with us. Um, I'm not going to beg for it, but man, why not support an organization that's helping bringing healing to people. I think it's exciting. It's why Gene and I support the ministry. But for a gift of any amount, we'll send you a copy of Deborah's book, Are You Really Okay? If you cannot afford it, I hope this proves our sincerity, we'll send it to you. Just get a hold of us. We believe in the content so much that we want to get it into your hands, and we're going to trust others. We'll cover the cost of that. So do it. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Get in touch with us. Hmm. In addition to the book, we also
0: have a great team of caring Christian counselors. We've mentioned them a few times along the way here, and they'd be happy to have an initial phone consultation with you. That's free. Uh, that's also a donor-supported outreach of this ministry. So as you can, please donate and uh, help us help others. Our number is 800, the letter A, and the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com broadcast.